So welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. I'm Rupert Watson. Today, I'm joined by Larry Vasquez and Jan Hein van der Nacker, and we're going to talk about global equity markets. Larry, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your role at Mercer, and then Jan Hein, if you could do the same. Yeah, sure. So I'm the uh, head of equities for the Mercer OCIO business in the US. Uh, we oversee about uh, 55 billion in uh, equity assets across uh, defined benefit and defined contribution channels. I have about 24 years of experience uh, in the industry, and I've been at Mercer for about nine of those 24 years. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Uh, I'm Jan Hein, and I'm Larry's equivalent for Mercer's OCIO or investment solutions business in Europe, Asia, Middle East, and Africa. And I head up the equity team, looking after all active and passive equity solutions. Um, I've worked in investments for 27 years, and the last 15 of those have been at Mercer. Thank you, Jan Hein. So, global equity markets have performed exceptionally well over the last 15 months, and indeed, of course, over the last 12 years. And we'll discuss the overall outlook later in the call. Much of that gain has been driven by tech stocks, with the NASDAQ index doubling since last March and is up by an astonishing 10, 11, or even 12-fold since 2009. More recently, however, value-type stocks have started to perform better. Uh, what's going on there? Um, I'll start with you, Larry. Uh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's definitely been a, an extended run, particularly for uh, tech, which if you tie, tie back into the equity markets and style investing, growth has dominated value up until, I would say, the fourth quarter of last year. Um, it felt like uh, over that eight, nine-year period, it, it felt a lot like a late-cycle event uh, with the dominance of uh, a, a handful of sectors um, and the continuation of it into the pandemic last year and benefiting from work from home uh, phenomenon with uh, technology benefiting from that dramatically. Uh, the rotation that we saw uh, late last year into this year with the value starting to outperform growth felt like a normal economic cycle, to be honest with you, um, with the expectation that uh, the economies get back to some sort of uh, normal level. Uh, and uh, normal participation with uh, cyclicals rebounding as a result of uh, expectations uh, within the market to uh, to turn around and and benefit um, benefit from uh, consumer spending and so forth as a result of uh, the COVID nineteen um, um, issues being resolved with the vaccine. Good optimism there. Issues being resolved with the vaccine. I I I, I largely agree, but we'll return to that later. Um, Jan Hein, the uh, recent outperforms or uh, performance of uh, or at least some value stocks relative to growth. Um, do you think that's going to continue, or or just a bit of a a flash in the pan? Um, I I think it, it it has the potential to continue for for a bit longer. Like Larry already mentioned, um, you know, there is a bit of a rotation happening in you know, cyclical names starting to, to come back a little bit and, and and value just in general has only performed by such a long period of time. Now, there's no reason why there should be automatic mean reversion, but over longer terms of markets, you do see that happening to a certain extent. And you know, one of the things that has changed somewhat is 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 going forward in expectations in relation to um, to inflation and interest rates. You know, we had seen an extended period of interest rates you know, gradually coming down towards that 0% level. And as a result, um, discount rates, uh, what, in, what investors use to discount kind of future earnings of companies have come down to lower levels as well. Once they start going up, future earnings become less valuable in today's money um, than, than, than more near-term earnings. And 
you know, obviously growth companies, a bigger part of their valuation is driven by those future earnings. So relative to growth, you know, value probably has a little bit further to go, especially if discount rates um, are, are continue to go up or in the future. So there's there's probably a little bit of room for value to, to, to do some more, uh, to outperform a bit more and to come back in. Um, now, there are some some other, you know, forces in the market that maybe are a bit more of a headwind for, for value. Um, you know, sustainability is a very big issue for us, especially here in Europe. Um, and, and, and in some cases, you know, some of those value companies are probably not quite as well positioned as some of those more growth-oriented names. So um, there are some, some, some headwinds and some tailwinds, but I, I think it probably has a little bit further to, to go, Rupert. So, Larry, I was struck there with you uh, saying that the, the the vaccine. I can't remember exactly what you said. Is something like have ended the crisis, or or, or, or words to that effect? Um, is is that did I did I hear you correctly? Well, I, I do live in the U.S. There, Rupert. So that's uh, probably <laughs> explains some of the optimism. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely seen the markets open up in the U.S. Um, people people out and about in restaurants and. Um, full stadiums of fans at uh, basketball games and hockey games and all that sort of fun stuff. So it's exciting to see that happening play uh, happening and it playing out in a positive fashion without an additional spike uh, in, uh, in cases from, uh, from COVID-19. So definitely optimism on my part that that would continue. And uh, that plays well into um, some of Jan Hines comments about uh, value and cyclicals doing well as, uh, as the economy starts to open up. I agree with that. I think the vaccine is going to is 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 you know is going to bring the crisis to a close, or at least bring it to a close from an economic perspective and from a market perspective, not necessarily from a health perspective. Um, of course, the vaccine is being rolled out at different paces around the world, and so it won't have its full impact for some time in some emerging markets. Um, but I think in 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 the UK, in the US, and much of Europe, for example. Uh, by the end of this summer, it will mostly be over. But that doesn't mean there won't be occasional flare-ups. I've been working from home for the last 15 months, and I expect to go back into the office before year-end. And I think it's pretty likely at some point that I'll be told that there's you know, new cases popping up all over the place in London, and therefore I should work from home again. Um, but I think that the ability to disrupt economic activity uh, is going to be very, very greatly diminished. But, but, but that obviously is a risk um, going forward. Um, just on technology, which we've which we've been speaking about, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about is that the the distinction between a technology company and a non-technology company um, might disappear, not disappear, sorry, might fade to some extent, because all companies are going to be become tech companies. Of course, they will, some of them will develop the tech themselves, many will buy it in. But I think for many companies, whether they do well or badly, over the next decade or so will be a function of whether they get technology right, um, both in terms of how they uh, use it internally and how they distribute to their, uh, to their, to their, to their clients. Now, we've been speaking a bit about technology and non-technology, just turning to the US versus non-US. 
Um, so I was always taught that uh, uh, emerging markets always outperform. Uh, I wasn't uh, taught that the US always outperform. Uh, perhaps, Larry, you were taught that in school, that uh, uh, the US always outperforms. But of course, over the last decade, uh, the US has outperformed everywhere. Um, now, you know, I, there are certainly signs, I think, that the economic outlook in, in much of the Eurozone uh, and the EU is improving. Um, but do you think that has any impact on, on, on the outlook for, for U.S. equities relative to non-U.S. equities? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 it's, you can't ignore the composition of the other regions uh, as far as exposure from equities. So the U.S. is obviously dominated by technology companies and healthcare companies that have benefited dramatically over the past, say, eight, eight, nine years, as you indicated earlier, um, non-U.S. emerging markets are not. So if there's any sort of cyclical, cyclical uh, early stage recovery that it sort of seems like there is, um, non-U.S. and emerging should benefit from that. I mean, you can't, but you also cannot ignore the additional risk associated with investing in uh, emerging markets in particular, um, just around the, um, the issues with uh, political risk, um, and uh, uncertainty about the recovery, to your point, in the short term from um, uh, the vaccine rollout and uh, the COVID-19 effect that it's having on those economies. Uh, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I'm just rather pleased I don't in the UK have to talk about Brexit anymore. Um, but, but, but Jan Hein, in terms of European equities uh, and perhaps, well, non-US equities more broadly, um, anything, anything worth sharing? Yeah, Rupert, may I say, always outperform emerging markets, will always <laughs> outperform, you know, always is, is a dangerous word in economic context, uh, as is never. Um, you know, I think you made some really good points about Europe. Um, economy is starting to recover here. Vaccines uh, rollout is, is finally picking up some pace as well. Um, you know, growth rates in Europe have historically been a little bit lower than, than in the US, um, as, you know, over the, the recent time have been um, uh, profit margins. And hence, you know, there is a fairly good explanation on top of, you know, what Mary already mentioned, U.S. indices are very tech heavy. And there is more tech exposure in, in, in the U.S. Than, than there is in Europe. Emerging markets are actually changing quite rapidly, Rupert, in, in that regard. Emerging markets now look a lot different than they, they looked 10 years ago and, and, and dramatically different from what they looked like 20 years ago when emerging markets were, you know, from a country perspective, very different, but also from a sector perspective, very different. So emerging markets are very quickly becoming tech heavy to a certain extent as well. With some of the platform names in, in, in China, especially Alibaba, the JD.com, Tencent, Baidu, all make up big portions of, 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 uh, of, the, of the EM index anymore. Um, so emerging markets are changing to a certain extent. Um, and we do believe over the long term that you know emerging market exposure is, is, is valuable to have in your portfolio. It reacts slightly different to, to different economic environments, and um, there still is you know substantial growth expectations there in, in those markets. And then you mentioned China, of course. China uh, is on track over the next uh, 10 years or so uh, to become the world's largest economy. Uh, and of course, different things to some extent, capital markets opening up uh, as, as, as well. Um, what are your thoughts on Chinese equities um, and the best way for investors to to, to play, as it were, uh, the Chinese market? So yeah, China's uh, China's very exciting uh, from an asset allocation perspective as well as from a uh, an active investment perspective. Uh, there is a significant amount of inefficiencies within those markets based on the lack of institutional investors within that space. Uh, it is opening up, as you indicated, to uh, uh, to foreign investors. 
Um, and having access to, to China A securities is extremely helpful because of those inefficiencies for active management. So uh, long-term benefit from an asset allocation perspective, but uh, if you tap into that market from a, uh, uh, when you invest, uh, you, you definitely would want to be active within that space. And Jan Hein, on the, the active point, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, Larry made a very good point. That's definitely the case, and we've been recommended that to, recommending that to our clients as well to be uh, to be active in 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 China. Uh, in broader perspective, active managers uh, have been um, you know been BCB, um have been doing reasonably well over, over the last last few years. Active management goes to periods where you know the majority of managers might struggle, and sometimes they they do better. And over the more recent time, active management um, has done has done very well. And we've seen a lot of managers outperforming, you know, fairly substantially during uh, during the last year. Um, it looks like um, there is there is more opportunity opportunity to 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 find good securities within the market. So active management, by and large, has has been rewarded um, over the more more recent recent years. So uh, um, that's that's definitely the case. Um, but like we mentioned in China, uh, it's it's very much so the case. Um, we see active management fairly consistently uh, doing significantly better than than, than broad market indices. Rupert, being the uh, the smartest man in the room, any any thoughts uh, on the uh, the markets in general or? Specific smartest China. man on the room. It's all, it's all relative, Larry. Um, in terms of equities at a high <laughs> level, uh, in terms of equities at a high level, uh, you, you set me up for that nicely. Thank you. Uh, in terms of equities at a high level, there are three things that are on my mind. First, economic growth, corporate profit growth. Secondly, valuations. And thirdly, signs of froth. So on the economic front, starting in the US earlier this year, UK earlier this year, uh, other parts of Europe about now, uh, we are seeing and we will see very strong economic growth. uh, And that's going to lead to pretty strong corporate profit growth uh, this year and into next year. And so that's a big uh, tailwind for global equity markets. Um, However, on the valuation side, the messages are mixed. Uh, on a on relative to bonds and relative to cash, equity markets do not look expensive, particularly on a so-called equity risk premium basis. But a lot of that is because bond yields are so low. If bond yields were to rise to more normal levels, so not if the US 10-year went to two and a quarter percent over the next 18 months or so. But if bond yields were to go above 3%, for example, then I think US equity valuations in particular um, would start to look pretty, pretty stretched. Uh, And bond yields, I think, could go up to those levels if the sort of strength in data we've seen recently and some of the the recent rise uh, in inflation, if both of those things uh, persist to some extent over the next little while. Uh, So in terms of economic growth and corporate profit growth, very good. Valuations is a worry. And then the other thing is a worry, I think, is signs of froth in markets. So we're on this call uh, all old enough to remember the late 90s uh, and the tech bubble, where we were being sent emails, or I was being sent emails, certainly, uh, with tips of stocks that were bound to go up, uh, and in many cases did go up uh, before crashing through the floor. And there are certainly signs of froth we're seeing at the moment uh, in the so-called meme stocks, uh, in cryptocurrency. 
currencies. Um, I think the I think cryptocurrencies will ultimately go down. Let's not talk about them today. Uh, we'll talk about them some other time. But I think there's most definitely signs of froth in different parts of the market. And while that doesn't necessarily mean markets will go down, I think it creates uh, creates a vulnerability. So, Larry, you're you're a little bit older than me. Do, do you th- do you see any 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 what similarities, what differences do you see between where we are at the moment uh, and the and the late nineties? So, uh, is uh, irrational exuberance persisting uh, today as it did in ninety nine? That that I am I'm not completely convinced that it's uh, identical to ninety nine, and obviously, no environment is the same as what you've seen historically and. My question, my, my question to you, uh, Rupert, is more along the lines of monetary and fiscal policy, and what that's done, done to the financial systems has sparked the interest in uh, cryptocurrency and so forth. And should we be worried about the financial system and the reaction that we've seen uh, more recently? I think that I think that's a good point. I think that ultra loose monetary policy, which is what we have at the moment, with both zero interest rates uh, and massive QE and the promise of massive QE for some time to come is appropriate for where we are today, summer 2021. But given the strength of the economy and the likelihood that unemployment will be back at four point something by the end of the year, uh, with inflation above target by the end of the year, I think that that ultra-loose monetary policy, uh, uh, while it is warranted today, will cease to be warranted uh, within six months, within 12 months, uh, and that the Fed will have to start to tighten monetary policy at some point. Now, so far, the Fed is saying that all of the recent uptick uh, or most of the recent uptick in inflation is transitory. Uh, And they may be right, um, but there is a risk that at some point uh, markets might start to start to doubt the Fed. Um, So my central case is is that equities go up a bit, um, but I think the risks are higher than they have been uh, for quite some time. Rupert, just just one comment and... You know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you that there are some fraud in markets, but, you know, we have to remember as well some of those tech names that make up a large portion of investors' portfolios these days of the indices um, are actually very, very profitable names. Uh, and that is a you know somewhat of a difference what we saw in, in, in the late 90s. Um, you know, the likes of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, you know, although... You know, there are also some risks, you know, regulators might, might take issue with some other business models or, or um, the way they um, uh, try to minimize their, their tax payments. But at the same time, these are incredibly profitable companies that make significant amounts of money. Um, so um, earnings are, are, you know, are fairly solid for, for those type of names. And those make up the largest portions of, of the index at the moment. So uh, there are some differences compared to uh, the late 90s. Yeah, I certainly accept all of that. And in no way am I arguing that, uh, you know, all the big tech names or even some of the big big tech names uh, will, will collapse because, as you say, earnings are great uh, and growing, cash on the balance sheet and all sorts of other things. Merely that uh, back in 2009 through till 2013, um, everybody, it seemed to me, uh, was super pessimistic about everything. Uh, whereas now, uh, uh, lots of people are pretty optimistic about lots of different things, uh, and to me, that's definitely a bit of a a bit of a warning sign. 
Uh, also is a warning sign, um, uh, and hopefully you'll appreciate this. Hopefully it's a warning sign, is my clock uh, telling me that I need to bring this to a close. So I'd like to thank Larry and Jan Hind for joining me today, and thank you, our listeners. Please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to discuss anything we addressed today, speak with one of our team, or if you'd like us to speak on a particular topic on a subsequent podcast, please email us at ctci at mercer.com. That's ctci at mercer.com. On the next episode, we'll be discussing cryptocurrencies, mania or marvel. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal, tax, or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Please refer to Mercer's full legal disclaimer in the episode description.